6: What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Friday, May 27th. Memorial Day weekend is here. And do we have a great podcast for you. I try not to rate the guests we have because, like, yesterday's Mark Medina was outstanding. Heard some really nice comments from you guys about him. And we've had a, a tremendous list of guests in the last six months, hell, over the last two years. I think we just passed episode 500. Remember I was making a big deal out of it? Stuff got so crazy in life and on the podcast, I forgot we passed 500. We're We're our, we're we're past episode 500. I actually think, guys, today's interview, if it's not top three, I think it might be number one. I don't know. Today's interview guest is tremendous, Drew Hanlon. He works with all top NBA players, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid. Yes, he gets on my case for going after Embiid a little bit. He works with Zach Levine, who you know I'm a fan of. I had never spoken to him before, just seen his stuff. The guy's incredible, uh, inspirational. He is a hard worker. His story is awesome. I mean, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but you know, he's like a 5'11 white guy who basically was one of those winning basketball players. You know, I rib Kyrie Irving is not a winner. This guy's a winner. 5'11 white guy wins a state championship in high school, gets some offers, goes to Belmont, two year starter. Gets to the NCAA tournament, led the country in three point shooting. Like this is this this is basically if I carve out the McIntyre basketball career, it's like basically what this guy had. Like you know, just a high school star, undersized, tenacious, and makes it plays college D one basketball. Like that that was like pretty much my dream forever. It got humbled real quick uh, around seventh or eighth grade. Um, that being said, it's good. I I it helped me get passionate about sports, and land where I am today. Everything kind of happens for a reason. And I love hoops, and talking with Drew Hanlon is tremendous. We went a little bit long. Hope you guys don't think it's too long. Before we get to Drew, I don't think we need to crown the Warriors Western Conference champs, right? Uh, we did that earlier this week. We knew this was coming. Golden State is unbelievably unstoppable when Klay Thompson is hitting eight threes. I'm sorry, you're not beating them. You're not. The Celtics are not beating them. When Kevon Looney is going for 10 and 18, you're not beating them. Steph Curry had an off night. 5 of 17. Did not matter. He turned his ankle early. He's got a week to recover. Jordan Poole did his thing off the bench. But it was Klay Thompson just splashing. And that's the weirdness of this team, man. We know Curry is great, and he's the most consistent. But if Klay can have one game in the finals, and Jordan Poole can have one game in the finals... You can bet your bottom dollar. I think people still always say that. Steph Curry will deliver, and the Warriors will win the title. Uh, we we don't do any bidding adieu to the Dallas Mavericks. I'm sure we'll talk about them a lot because you know I, I'm a Luka guy. 28 on 28 shots. Not his best night. Spencer Dinwiddie did a pretty damn good job. I think, you know, if you want to show some Spencer Dinwiddie footage for teams that may be interested in him, if you're looking to try to package... Dinwiddie and Brunson and up bring on a star. If, if that's possible, you show, you show Dinwiddie game seven against the Suns, maybe game six, two, and then game five against the warriors. He, he was tremendous. Uh, he 26 points on 12 shots. He, he was excellent, but ultimately this is about the warriors. They go to the finals and we find out tonight that the Celtics will probably go. We don't know if Tyler hero is going to play by the way. Today's guest, drew Hanlon works with Tyler hero. Um, I don't think Jimmy Butler's healthy. Miami would need to beat Boston back-to-back. That is extremely difficult. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. I don't think the Celtics have lost back-to-back games in the playoffs yet. Uh, They've had a a couple tough losses. I don't think they've lost back-to-back. I don't think they did against the Bucs. I could be wrong. But Warriors-Celtics is going to be tremendous. They set out the schedule late last night. If you want to put it on your calendar, Thursday, June 2nd, certainly – you don't want to miss game one. Game two is Sunday night. Now, listen, I don't like that two of the finals games are on Sunday nights. You know I have my back basketball league. Obviously, I'm not missing a basketball game for the NBA finals. Sorry, guys. Uh, we want to go undefeated, run the table. Uh, we'll know next week if we get bumped up a league. We've asked the commissioner because we've just steamrolled our opponents and it's clear we're too good for this league. Can we get bumped up? As you laugh, I don't. We're waiting. Uh, so, wait, There is the side note quickly. There are six uh, groups of teams that play on Sundays, 24 total teams, right? There's an A-League and a B-League, three of each. We are the second highest scoring team through two weeks. That doesn't mean much, but I'm telling you, we're damn good. We're, We're pretty damn dominant. Anyways, Thursday, June 2nd is game one. Game seven will be Sunday, June 19th. I think the final day of school for most kids, at least where my kids are, is that week. I know a lot of people are going to start vacation. You don't want to miss game seven should there be Celtics-Warriors game seven. But frankly, Rob, I'm going to start here. I think Boston gives them a lot of problems, but ultimately, I do believe Golden State with home court advantage, with extra rest, possibly probably just a day, but possibly more. And if they can get Clay, Poole, and Curry going, I don't think they lose. I, my official bet is golden state warriors in six. What you got,
7: Rob? Oh, well, so much of it depends on how early or well, if at all, Boston's able to close out my, Oh, stop um, it. Come and on. And that, that, That's not because like, I think Boston's the better team, but they have been, this series has been Jekyll and Hyde, you know, like you can't have all time worse quarters in the NBA finals. Like you just, <laughs> you can't do that. And Boston's done that a couple of times here in the series. Um, I haven't really made an official pick, even if I do assume that it's going to be Boston. But I will say Boston's defense is going to give the Golden State Warriors more problems than anybody has this entire postseason. You're going to see a lot of think pieces leading up to the finals talking about the Splash Brothers are back. All of a sudden, it's a Splash Trio. You can't stop DEFCON 5 when they have the small ball lineup. And when they run into Boston, assuming it's Boston, that is going to get shut down so quick. Jordan Poole will no longer be talked about as a $25 million player. Andrew Wiggins <laughs> will get brought up, being, oh, maybe he's more like the guy in Minnesota than the guy we saw this season in Golden State. Because everything that Golden State does, which is all the motion, the movement, the backdoor cutting, and everything like that, the only defense that has a chance to slow that kind of stuff down is you just switch everything. Because if you try to stay man-to-man, Steph's going to come off with of five screens. He's going to hit a three in your eye. And it's going to be deflating. Where Boston has a huge advantage is that they can switch everything for the most part. Smart, uh, Tatum, Brown, Williams especially, can cover all of these guys all around the floor. Draymond Green, aside from last night, is a, like a net negative offensively. Like, if he's not Mm. passing from the top of the key, he does nothing on the offensive end. He's not a threat to score at all. Kevin Looney is not going to dominate the boards against Boston. Unlike Dallas, unlike... He might. Okay. Unlike (laughs) Dallas, unlike Denver, uh, maybe Memphis, I'm not sure, but unlike those other two teams specifically, Boston can get to the rack with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that you're going to need some kind of interior defense to keep them out of the paint because that's not something Dallas was doing. That's not something Denver can do. Um, I expect a long series, whether it's I think it's going to be at least six games, but I don't expect whoever wins any of these games are going to be blowouts. I think they're all going to be very close games.
6: Uh, We know the Celtics' health is a major factor. Robert Williams, Marcus Smart. I will add this, with a week to get healthy, Will the Warriors get back Otto Porter? And don't scoff at Otto Porter. Honestly, he's a he's a pretty great— Like, if Otto Porter's your sixth best guy, you're in great shape. He was like a number three like three years ago. Otto Porter's going to get healthy. Will Andre Iguodala be able to play at all? Will we see him a, a turn back the clock game or two defensively from Iguodala against, say, Jason Tatum? And Gary Payton the second— how can we forget Gary Payton II? Really good defender. Did a tremendous job on job before getting injured. I should say getting taken out. Um, uh, Gary, Porton, Gary Porter. Uh, Gary Porter. Gary Payton II is a very good defender. He could be a factor. I mean, all of a sudden, if the Warriors get those three guys back, Rob. I mean, I, does Kuminga get minutes? I I don't know. Uh, Moses Moody was forced into action in this series. He, he was serviceable, but now you're looking at okay, you got the starting five. And then you have options. You're like, okay, we know Poole's going to be the sixth man. Can, can Igudala give us 10 minutes? Can we get, I don't know, 11 minutes out of Peyton? Can we get 15 minutes out of Porter? And next thing you know, Boston, which really only plays six, seven, maybe eight guys. I mean, Peyton Pritchard is like kind of a maybe. Now the one factor, Rob, I will give you this. It's just tough. Steve Kerr has a losing record against one team as the coach of the Warriors, playoffs and regular season included. Just one. It's the Boston Celtics. Because of their wings and switchability. Now, they only play twice a year, so it's a small sample size. But this team, for whatever reason, like you said with that defense, they can give the Warriors problems. When they're doing all these handoffs and these uh, Curry runs and hands off and uh, switches into the corner, Like Celtics are going to be all over that. Now Boston has faced Kevin Durant. They have faced Giannis. They haven't. What they haven't faced is a three point assault,
7: like the Warriors, and that's why I'm going Golden State in six. Are you official on the board for Golden State in six or seven? <laughs> I haven't decided if I'm picking Golden State yet at all. Um, so much that you said depends on health. If Tatum's shoulder is, if that week off doesn't heal him up the way that we expect it, it will, because if he's the version that we've seen the last game and a half against Miami, then I'm absolutely picking Golden State because that shoulder is clearly limiting him and his effectiveness. Um, Robert Williams, if that knee flares up again, which Mm. there's been no rhyme or reason as to why and how it's, it's flaming up, but it's just doing it, that's a big deal. So assuming both teams are healthy, I would lean Boston right now. How about this, Rob? In the immortal
6: Curry, Kobe Bryant.
7: Oh, gosh.
6: See what I did there, debate? Uh, By the way, I have a good, good friend who's a Warriors fan, a good, good friend who's a Kobe Bryant fan. And I floated it to them over text message, and it prompted like 80 texts in, I don't know, 15 minutes. Fired up. People are fired up about a Kobe-Curry discussion. People don't want to have it because, you know, Kobe's a two-way player, and I saw Rob get a little heated on Twitter about this. Can we use... Western Conference Finals Um, MVP. Does that count as a mark in the ledger of Curry because it was just created this year? Absolutely not. (laughs) It's a little silly. Uh, But folks, listen, we're going to do a lot on the finals next week. I think we may have one NFL guest. I'm working on him. We'll see. I'm efforting that. Um, But uh, you guys are going to love Drew Hanlon. He is really, really good at his job. A fascinating listen. It's funny. My guess is after you listen to Drew Hanlon here, you're probably going to go on iTunes and search his name and see if you can find another uh, interview that he's done because this guy is a great talker. Let's bring him in. Uh, NBA trainer to the stars, Drew Hanlon.
2: You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports.
6: I know what sports
1: fans want.
2: But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say...
1: I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy.
6: Okay, let's welcome into Straight Fire, one of the foremost NBA trainers out there, but he's more than a trainer. If you guys have read about him or listened to any podcast, he said some of his stuff is pretty awesome, and I'll just say most of it, and I'm going to have my kids listen to this for sure. Uh, Let's bring in Drew Hanlon, NBA uh, trainer to the great uh, Jason Tatum, everybody's favorite Joel B. Drew, how are you, man?
8: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
6: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, listen, we could start with one of your clients, Joel Embiid, who you love, but I just have to let the audience know who we're talking to here. Um, And, Drew, as an undersized guy who has loved basketball forever, I badgered my parents for them to send me to a camp that I could not hang with, obviously, because I loved hoops. You basically lived out my youth basketball dream, right? You were like an undersized uh, guard, right, tiny, and then basically through work ethic, desire, uh, grit, you win state championships. You go to the NCAA tournament. You lead the country in three-point shooting. I, I, I don't, I don't know where to start in your story, Drew, but I, I feel like work ethic is probably something that's driven you to where you are.
8: No doubt, you know, I was one of those uh, dedicated kids that wasn't blessed with you know great height or great athleticism, but what I was blessed with was a uh, dedication and work ethic that was truly unmatched. And so, you know, that starts when. I was 12 years old. I gave up sweets and, you know, it was a month long challenge that ended up, you know, uh, sticking with me for 10 years. I didn't eat sweets until I was done playing college basketball at 22 years old. So I can honestly say as a teenager, I never had soda, never had ice cream, never had candy, not one time, not one bite. Um, You know, here I am, I'm 32 years old, still never tasted alcohol, never smoked, never done drugs. So I'm just one of those guys that have been super laser focused and, um, you know, that that bled into my athletic career and now it's bled into my, my training career. And also, you know, the, the life coaching, motivational speaking career as well. But, you know, the big thing that I believe in is if you truly want something that your actions are, are going to back and match exactly what you're after. And so as a player, you know, I was a guy that I used to wake up at 4:59 AM. You know, I thought it was cooler waking up in the fours than the fives. I'd meet my <laughs> high school principal at the gym at 5:15. I shot a thousand shots every single morning before school You know, we win a state championship, I go on, I play in two NCAA tournaments, Um, but more importantly, my work ethic was very highlighted around the St. Louis area, and that led to a lot of other players around the St. Louis area wanting to work with me, and one of those players was Bradley Beal, and you know, I started working out Brad when Brad was a freshman in high school. I was a senior in high school the part of the story that a lot of people don't realize is we were actually working out together. It wasn't me training Brad at the start. It was Brad training with me as a player. (laughs) And then I remember, you know, uh, cause I was still a college basketball player. So at that time I was still better than Brad. You know, we always joke around because Um, You know, we like to argue we don't know who's exactly up in our all time one on one series. I think I am. He thinks he is. But he always he always reminds people, you know, Drew got a lot of wins early on when I was still younger in my high school journey. Mm. But, you know, that's that's how it all started. And then, you know, Brad, you know, goes from eight points a game as a freshman to 24 points a game as a sophomore. Everyone said, wow, what happened during that summer? And uh, he said, you know, I was working with Drew and that really started my training career. Uh, which wow. led me to David Lee, another St. Louis player, was my first NBA client, and then to all the guys that you know I work with today. All
6: right, so we'll come back to Beal. I, I just uh, quickly—did he start when he was a freshman and you were
8: the senior? So we were at different high schools. Uh, ah. We were at different high schools. Yeah, so we actually played against each other um, mm. and, and did all that. But it was—it's funny because when you look back, you know, people don't realize well, I was so young when I started. You know training brad when i was still you know a high school basketball player and then training countless other you know athletes i had 96 kids that were in my academies while i was a junior and senior in high school so i was training 96 (laughs) local players i was running a full-fledged training operation had wrote had wrote a basketball training book my junior year in high school that i started selling you know out of of my backpack and out of the back of my trunk my senior year And then, you know, David Lee was my first NBA client that I started working with as a sophomore in college. So here I am at Belmont playing at a mid-major, you know, college. And, you know, my first NBA client is an NBA all-star. You know, I remember sitting there at at Cheesecake Factory. We were actually, you know, at Cheesecake Factory when Steph Curry had just signed his four-year $44 million deal. I think that was after my junior year in college. And, um, you know, I had known Steph because I had worked with David and they were both teammates with the Warriors. And I remember David asking Steph, hey, are you going to go to you know to the uh, your brother, you know Seth Curry's opening night game? Uh, they're playing against Drew. And he was like, oh, man, that's so cool. I didn't know you coached college too. And he said, no, 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 he plays in college. And Steph kind of looked at David <laughs> and he was like, first off, I didn't realize how young you were. But second off, why are you listening to a mid-major oh, basketball player? Wow. And, uh, you know, David said something truly impactful. He said, hey, listen, Phil Jackson can't beat Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Jordan in one-on-one. He's not better than them, but he helps them become better. And he goes, Drew isn't better than me as a basketball player, but he helps me become better. Hmm. And uh, that was was super powerful for me to hear early on because I realized I don't have to be one of the greatest players ever to be one of the greatest trainers ever. My job is just to help the best find ways to constantly get better. And, you know, that's what I do full-time now.
6: I'm assuming you locked down Seth Curry in that matchup, right?
8: <laughs> actually, I had a great game. You know, it's funny because Seth and I are obviously friends. You know, he was teammates with Joel, and so we got to, you know, spend a lot of time to, with each other. But, um, yeah, I, I actually outplayed, you know, Seth, if you go back and, and look at that game. And uh, it's just fun. You know, they had a great team. They had him. They had Austin Rivers. They had the Plumley brothers. They had, yeah. I mean, they, had, they had a loaded team. Uh, we lost by one. It was opening night game that season. Um, but it was just so fun. I mean, think about it as a, as a little kid that, you know, used to work out in a driveway at local parks, at local community centers yeah. to be playing in Cameron indoor stadium. You know, I hit four threes in the second half. We, we <laughs> rallied back and, uh, you know, end up losing on a, on a last second, you know, kind of bank shot. Um, those are the, the priceless yeah. moments that, that, that really show you that hard work can get you anywhere.
6: All right. So let's rewind to this 4.59 a.m. wake up because uh, there's a lot of dads. You know, I coach my kid in hoops and now he's playing some club basketball. Uh, and all the dads in the area kind of we listen to the, uh, some of what these trainers say. And work ethic is like the number one thing. Drew, were your parents saying, hey, 4.59 a.m. you should wake up? Uh, and then what did your parents like do job wise or were they former big time athletes?
8: So my mom played college soccer. My dad was a high school, you know, uh, football player. So it wasn't like you know there were you know professional athletes or anything. The one thing that my parents did was they made sure that we had every opportunity to get better if we needed or wanted those opportunities. So they were never, um, you know, forcing us to do you know the hard work in the mornings. They were never forcing us to do additional work after practices. But what they were doing was early on they just put us around sports as much as we could. So we fell in love with the game. I think that's the number one thing. like, I have parents all the time, reach out to me and say, Hey, I got a, you know, an eight year old kid, what kind of, you know, things should they be doing with training wise? And I'm like, to be honest with you at eight years old, you should just have them watch basketball, you know, as much as they can, you know, be around basketball, take them to high school basketball games, you know, go to the rec center with them, just get them to love the game because if they don't love the game at some time, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to push through adversity. They're not going to be able to, to put in the long hours that are required to really become special in, in the sport. And so the first thing they got to do is just fall in love. Mm -hmm. And then once they fall in love, the second part is mastering some basic fundamentals that will allow you to build on them later on. So, you know, that means, you know, getting really good with dribbling, passing and finishing with both hands. You know, that means getting really good mm-hmm. at shooting fundamentals, just good, wide, balanced base, you know, a straight follow-through and having good hand placement on the ball. Because a little kid, they're going to shoot from their belly button. They don't have the strength to get it up to the, you know, to the hoop at that age. And so you can't teach them to shoot like Clay Thompson. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to say, hey, let's get good hand placement on the ball because that's hard to change later on. And then let's just get them shooting a straight high follow-through. We'll worry about their pocket later. And let's work on them maintaining balance so that they understand that, you know, the, the less you twist, you know, the less you miss. And so those two things are big. And then the last thing I always think is footwork, you know, you got to be able to stop and start and change directions, accelerate, decelerate. And so being able to just remain on balance, but those are my three core principles. And if you can get those in kind of the middle school, you know, if you can master those in the middle school ages, Mm -hmm. then the rest is history. Then you can kind of start picking and choosing, what can really impact your game the most and build on that. But I think the problem is most parents skip the first step. They don't get their kid to fall in love with the game. They're trying to almost, you know, kind of force their kids to do these things because they think they know what's best for their kid. And and that doesn't mean basketball. You know, people always ask me, I don't have any kids, but they're always like, Drew, you know, you have two nieces and two nephews, you know, and eventually you're going to have kids you know, I'm sure you're going to start training them at an early age. And I'm like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out what they love. And if they happen to love basketball, great. They've got the greatest resource they can possibly have. I'm going to make sure I pour, you know, all my energy and effort into them. But if it's soccer, then we're going to go all in on soccer. If it's piano, we're going to go all in on piano, whatever they love. You know we're going to make sure that we give them all the resources and all the opportunities to improve and to take it as far as they want to take it. Yeah,
6: who was your who was the guy you first loved basketball for? Was it a, a local player, from, a sibling?
8: I'm from St. Louis. I I grew up in the '90s. I was born in '89, so Michael Jordan was everything. Uh, I mean, if you grew up in the Midwest, yeah. there was only one person. Like I, I it was the goat. You know, I had, you know, Michael Jordan, every jersey that he had, you know, that's what I lived in. I had the old school starter jackets. You remember the starter jackets, Of course, yes. And uh, even had the reversible jerseys back in the day that you could have. So, I mean, I was a Michael Jordan guy and, um, you know, that was the number one player that I I loved. That's what made me love basketball. And then after that, it was funny because I kind of transitioned out of the NBA and fell in love with college basketball and uh, Jay Williams. And Jason mm. Gard and and Jason Gardner, they were undersized guards that were just tough as nails. That really got busy, and uh, those are two guys that that I used to love watching yeah. as a youngster.
6: So when you you become like a high school player, were you one of these instantly as a freshman? You're starting, and then you're doing the AAU circuit. I mean, or was, it, was the AAU circuit even what it is now? Um, you know, did you face off and with any amazing you know players that got to the NBA at, at that age?
8: Yeah, for sure. I was I was very fortunate that, um, you know, I started playing on one of the best teams around St. Louis as a third grader. And so we were we were doing like the AAU Nationals and, um, you know, competing against. I remember, you know, my uh, I think was sixth grade or seventh grade year we played. In the final four at um, you know at the Walt Disney Sports Complex down in Orlando in Nationals, we played against DeMar DeRozan and Brandon Jennings. They played on <laughs> Little Romeo's team, and Master P was a coach. Um, yeah. So I mean, I grew up just playing there. We played against the New York Gauchos that had Kimball Walker and a bunch of other pros. Um, you know, we played against the OJ Mayos and Bill Walkers back when they were the biggest things in high school basketball. So I mean, I was fortunate. I played against a ton of great players both in high school um, and college. Um, but really, for me, it was all about if you wanted to be the best, you had to compete against the best. And you know, I knew that my goal was, you know, first, getting a college scholarship. I wanted to get my education paid for. And second, I wanted to play in the NCA tournament. And third, I wanted to play in the NBA. And you know I, I fell short on the third one, but in pursuing you know that goal of being an NBA player, I realized, you know what? hey, listen, <laughs> not not only can I still live the same NBA lifestyle, but you know, I can I can impact the NBA yeah. a ton because if you look, you know, my clients, it's really a who's who of the Eastern Conference. You got Joel yeah. Embiid, who, you know, is one of the you know best players in the NBA, but you know, the 76ers face of their franchise. You got Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics, you know, face of their franchise. You got Bradley Beal next year has a chance to break the all time scoring record, you know, in Wizards history. You got Tyler Hero second leading score just by a, a, a fraction of a point, you know, for the, the heat, you got Zach Levine, you know, if not the best player, the set, you know, second best player at one, a one B with him and DeRozan up in Chicago, Tyrese Halliburton, who now is like the face of, oh. you know, the Indiana Pacers, you yeah. start going down, you got New York Knicks, RJ Barrett. So, I mean, it's literally the Eastern conference. Um, <laughs> and it's so fun for me that, you know, I I, I am the guy that's responsible for helping these guys you know, find ways to fine tune their game and constantly get better.
6: One more before we get to the current players. Um, Were you, did you have a ton of offers coming out of high school or was like Belmont far and away one of the the best one?
8: No, honestly, I had a bunch of high major offers um, as well. I just thought Belmont was the best fit for me. You know, when I'm, when I'm ever helping players in recruiting process, I always tell them, you know, there's a, there's three things that I always look for. Number one, don't just go to a school that is going to be fun for four years, go to a school that's going to prepare you for the next 40 years. And so I love their entrepreneurship program. I knew that, you know, at that point, once I got to the you know, college, I knew I wasn't going to be an NBA player. And so I had already got rolling with my training career. And so I was like, I need to find a school that has, you know, great entrepreneurship program. So, you know, two of my finalists were Penn because the school of Warden, oh, you know, yeah. their business school is unbelievable. And then Belmont because their entrepreneurship was also unbelievable. So that was my first big thing. My second thing is you got to make sure that the basketball program, you know, fits you as a player. I was a guy that was a high volume, three point shooter. Belmont was, you know, very tempo, And uh, so I was like, you know what, that fits from a basketball perspective. And then the third thing, was you got to love everybody that's involved with the program, the players, the coaches, the training staff, the the administration, because you're going to spend 90% of your time with them for four years of your life. And so if you don't think that, you know, you're going to, you know, it's the cliche of we're a family, we're a brotherhood, but it really is. They become your best friends and they become the people that you, you spend four critical years of your life around. And so I just thought Belmont fit. I love the players. I love the mm. coaches. I love the, you know, the staff and, and even the academic, um, you know, counselors, uh, I thought the program was a great fit. And then academically, I thought it was going to really help me, you know, take the next step in my journey um, as a businessman.
2: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is
6: As speaking of the business, um, I don't. I mean, we. I personally love Jason Tatum. I went on, uh, you know, one of the FS1 shows and said he was the best one-on-one player since Kobe. And all these players lit me up. Uh, these, you know, these idiots on the internet just go after you. And here we are, you know, two months later, and Jason Tatum looks like arguably one of the five to seven best players in the league. Um, obviously, Drew, you're going to take some credit for, but for for what he's done. But how has this guy made the leap here in the last? I don't know, two years. To become, you know, one of the, I think he's going to, you know, win at least an MVP at some point in his career.
8: Here's what I'll tell you. I'm going to take you back to 13 years old. The first time I started working with Jason. And I remember, you know, the first workout we had, I just killed him because I wanted to see if he had it. And if you don't know what it is, you know, you probably don't have it. It is (laughs) that like special sauce, like that special, like. You don't know, but they're just willing to do whatever it takes to, to get over whatever hurdles in front of them. And, and so I killed him like to the point where he was like throwing up, passing out, like that's the first workout as a 13 year old kid. And I remember I got a call from his mom after that workout. And, you know, I don't know what she's going to say at that point. Cause I, this is the first workout his mom said, Hey, I got something really cool, uh, to share with you. You know, Jason, when I asked him how it was, because you know, his aunt had brought him to the workout. Um, he said, mama, listen. Y'all were going to have to carry me off the court before I gave up. This is a 13-year-old. So that's when I knew I was like, okay, he's got something you know different about him. He's got that it factor. And then after that, I said, Jason, listen, if you want to be you know an NBA player one day, and again, he's 13, so we don't know he's a bona fide yeah. NBA player at that point. I said, we've got to master the fundamentals. It's going to be a boring process, but it is going to be a beneficial process. And so we spent the first week on just the jab step. We're watching Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Tracy McGrady, Carmelo Anthony. We're watching all this footage Now these 13. Think about 13-year-olds. They're normally just jacking three-pointers, you know, checking their phones after every, you know, three shots. <laughs> and he's out there working on jab step. We didn't do anything besides the jab step for four days. And then finally on the fifth day, I was like, all right, are you ready to move on? He's like, man, thank God. And I'm like, now we got the jab, one dribble pull-up. And he was like, kind of like, oh, man. The reason I take you back to 13 is because Jason has put in so much work. He studied the grades. He's emulated them. He's taken every step of the process so seriously since he was that young. And that's why you see the power's version you see of him today. You know, he still watches countless hours of film. You know, he's constantly working on his game. Like during even, you know, this playoff run, it's funny because normally I stay at his his place you know, in Boston, when I go up there and work with him, you know, right now he's like, hey, listen, I need you to get a hotel. I'm not letting anybody in my house. I need to, you know, stay locked in. And so, you know, when I've gone to, you know, different places to work with him throughout the playoffs, it's, he's just so hyper-focused on, I got a job to do, I got to deliver. And um, that's why he's special, you know, is because he has every step along the way, prioritized improving at, you know, kind of the Mm-hmm. Fundam- fundamental level to the now I'm going to get into the micro skill level, and then now I'm going to master all the little nuances that you see him able to do today.
6: Y- y- listening to you say that, Drew, I-, I instantly think, okay, what other players are tacticians like that? You got Luka Doncic, right? And frankly, not a lot of other Americans have that, you know, that drill down, we're going to work on fundamentals for an entire week. You just don't really see that. And here comes Luka and Giannis who's improved his game and, you know, Jokic, obviously, and your, your guy Embiid as well. Is there something about the lack of that, you know, micro fundamental level that's, that's not good for NBA players right now?
8: I wouldn't say that. I think that some, you know, it's funny because I see the media always talking about like, you know, Americans, they have a problem when it comes to develop, you know, mint and you know, they skip steps. And I would just turn to the Olympics and say, listen, we, we dominate (laughs) the Olympics. We, you know, we get, we, we we could send our C team and usually win the championship. But you know, we're not even sending our top, you know, guys. I always joke around with RJ Barrett about that because, you know, we have that friendly rivalry when it comes to USA Canada. And I'm like, if we legitimately sat down and listed the number one American all the way down, if we took our C group or D group, we could still beat y'all, RJ. So I, I think that sometimes people don't realize that we still have the best players. And so the system isn't broken. But I do think that you know, the American system right now um, has heavily favored athleticism and just straight, you know, getting a lot of games. They do get that experience and they get mm-hmm. that confidence. Um, whereas the perfect blend is when you have that athleticism and you have the game experience, but then you also have the fundamental training that allows you to be polished as well. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of Americans that are, are very polished. I mean, look at, you know, some of the guys I have, Zach Levine, super polished skill set, you know, Bradley Beal is Beal. one of the best, mm-hmm. you know, you look at Damian Lillard, who's not one of my guys, but Damian Lillard, super highly skilled. Yeah. You obviously going there's down, plenty. Yeah. Yeah. You start going down the line and you say, okay. And then, and then you do turn to, they, they always talk about the, um, you know, the international players. And they said, these are the best players in the world. And you look at guys like Giannis, no doubt one of the best players in the world, but I mean, it's still, he, he hasn't shown the ability to shoot jump shots. You know, does that mean that, the international system flawed him, you know, or do you look at the opposite way and say, Hey, look at what he was when he came over here, he Mm -hmm. was very raw. And then American trainers were what helped (laughs) develop him into the player. He is now the two-time MVP that won a finals, you know, and had 50 points in a game seven. So, uh, you know, that's what I look at. I look at, you know, I think that the best trainers in the world get their players to do exactly what they need to do. And that is, First, master the fundamentals, then start adding one skill at a time until they have a polished and refined version of their game that translates into in-game success.
6: All right, so let's go to Joel Embiid, a polarizing player on this podcast. Uh, listen, he, he I don't know that he totally lumps into the international given that, uh, you know, he went to Kansas for a year. But, Drew, I, I don't know if you've seen the highlight where he was, I guess, you know, like 10th grade or whatever. And he tries to do a layup on a fast break and, like, I think totally misses the backboard. And it, it's one of these, like, this guy has become one of the best players in the league. Um, I guess talk about his work ethic before we drill down on on some of the other stuff.
8: First off, I'm going to say that before we got on this podcast, I made yes. it very well known that I found a clip of you kind of hating on Joel. Not Joel hating. The, I'm just Joel led the, the NBA. Fan. Joel led the NBA in scoring. Yes. He gets double and triple teamed like no one else. You know, that's that's the thing. When I was making so many counter arguments, the Jokic, Joel kind of MVP conversation on on social media. You know, I pointed out to like at the end of the game when Draymond Green stole the ball from Jokic and I'm like, he was on an island. You can't find one possession where, you know, the other team is single covering Joel and saying, I dare you to score because there's not one player in the world that can stop Joel single handedly. So to go to his work ethic. You know, he had that same exact process that Jason did, but he didn't get to start as early. You know, I got him, you know, right before he started his NBA career. But there's not a player that watches, I would say, half as much film as Joel does. And I work with a lot wow. of special ones. Joel's the kind of guy that on a random Tuesday in the middle of the season, he'll be, you know, watching a Indiana Pacers or a Sacramento Kings game on NBA League Pass. And you're going, why are you watching that? And it's just because he loves basketball. Mm. You know, he's watched every single made field goal of Kevin Durant's career, every one of Dirk's career, every one of Kobe's career, every one of Shaq. It gets to the point where he'll say, Hey, can you send me more of Hakeem? And I'm like, just so you know, everything that is in the database that I sent you, that's that's all that there is. They're like <laughs> we can't we can't go back and tell Hakeem to play more games. Like you've already watched everything. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing that stands out to me about his work ethic. You know, he's just obsessive. You know, he FaceTimed me actually yesterday. And, um, you know, he was watching Jason play. Obviously, all my guys are really good, you know, friends just because they spend the summers together. And he was like, hey, I was in my living room, you know, working on, you know, certain thing that we're we're working on this summer as far as driving and attacking from the perimeter. He's like, I was in my living room working on it. You know, this is a guy that just, you know, just got knocked out of the playoffs, still watching all the games. Most NBA players, once they get knocked out, they don't even want to talk about basketball, look at basketball. They're immediately in vacation mode. So I was still studying every game yeah. hitting me. Do you see this coverage? Do you see that? Oh, I really like that play at the three minute 42 second mark that Miami just ran for bam, you know, make sure you clip that so that we have that for the start of next season. I mean, he's just a, a guy that loves basketball and he's honestly obsessed with becoming the best version of himself, which is why each and every year he's improved. And the thing that I credit most to him is all he wants to do is win. And so when he came in the NBA, you know, he was like, Hey, listen, you know, he, he made one three pointer at Kansas. He was one for five. That's it. Yeah. And then his rookie season, he shoots like 37, 38% from three. And everyone's like, Whoa, we didn't know he had that because well, he wanted to add that. Then he started with the low post movies, dominant low post. And then it's, you know what? It's too easy to get double teams. So then it's mid post. Well, that's too easy to get double teams. So now I go, you know, the, to the nail where Dirk Nowinski dominated. Well, now they can't, my teammates can't give me the ball. So now I got to work on all the off the dribble stuff that you see. And so every year he's basically said, Hey, listen, I don't want to make excuses of what my teammates can't do or what I don't have on my team. I'm just going to become that shot creator, become the, you know, go to scorer, become the perimeter threat that we need, which is what makes him truly special.
6: So uh, again, I, I know I said, I'm not a huge fan of Embiid. Obviously I love the work ethic and the desire you've seen him make the leaps. What I didn't love was the, the kind of the jab at Ben Simmons after the Atlanta series uh, and then he said something about Harden after this uh, playoff loss, and I, I know uh, some of it is, "Hey, he's never made the conference finals." But then look at the supporting cast. And then he comes out, I guess, after you guys spoke about the, with the tweet about how Miami needs help, and it's like, I don't know, Drew. Come on, I, like I know he's having fun and getting engagement, and everybody's talking about him on podcasts and shows. But I, what do you tell your clients about social media? Do you say anything, or do you just mostly stick to basketball?
8: No, I mean, obviously, I'm helping them in basketball. I'm helping them in life. I'm helping them with mentality. But, you know, I want everyone to be themselves. You know, like, it's funny because let's talk about Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time. You know, Michael Jordan, you look at the last dance. What was he doing all the time? He didn't have social media, but he's over there smoking a cigar, you know, hitting a bat off, you know. Anyone can talk trash when, you know, they're up. But that was who Michael Jordan always was. You know, there's countless stories of him, you know, being, you know, pulling up his... Ferrari, you know, to block off the bus and him smoking a cigar celebrating before game six, before they'd even played the game, you know, he was the original trash talker, but also you got to remember Michael Jordan averaged what 43 points a game against the Celtics his third year in the NBA or second yeah. or third year in the NBA and didn't, and he got swept. So even Michael Jordan didn't win without Scotty and didn't win without Dennis Robin didn't win without Steve Kerr, like all these guys. And you look at Shaq, Shaq didn't win any titles without Kobe Bryant or Dwayne Wade. You know, you look at all these players, you look at LeBron. LeBron hasn't won a championship without at least two all-stars on his team. So it's like at some point you're looking and you're going, you know, everybody's had somebody. Nobody's ever won a championship on their own. And Mm. so, you know, I think that, um, you know. I'm trying to think,
6: did Wade, well, I guess Wade had a a late Shaq, right?
8: He still had Shaq. What what about Nowitzki? Dirk was probably the best case of of winning one kind of where he single-handedly you know, put the team on his back and said, Hey, listen, I'm taking us, you know, taking us through. But, you know, that's one thing that we always talk about is, you know, can you get yourself to a point where you can carry a team? And it's something I talk with all my guys about, because that's the true, you know, essence of being the best player in the world or one of the best players ever is when regardless what the situation is, regardless what the circumstances are is when you have the ability to throw your team on the back and carry them home. And to me, that's what made Michael Jordan the greatest was, you know, if you were in a room full of people and you're watching Michael Jordan and it's game, you know, five or six in the NBA, you know, finals, and the bulls were down 15. If you looked around and said, Hey guys, listen, the bulls are down 15 points entering the fourth quarter, but I'll bet, you know, hundred dollars that Michael Jordan wins. No one would take that bet because you just knew Michael Jordan was going to find a way Mm. to win the game. It's like Tiger Woods when Tiger was dominant. You know, if Tiger had a lead, he wasn't giving it up. But if Tiger was a few strokes back and you made the, you rounded that turn and you started hearing the Tiger roars,
2: you just knew he was going to yeah. find a way to come back. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is.
6: Drew, I've heard you, I think, say three times that Jordan's the greatest of all time. Clearly, you are aware of the Jordan-LeBron debate. Um, I am curious. You grew up on 90s NBA. You look at that NBA when Jordan dominated, you know, Magic and Bird kind of were at the end, and Isaiah Thomas was at the end. And you look at today's NBA. If someone's making the case LeBron is the greatest, as I have, he's done it on multiple teams, uh, I think three different teams, Cleveland, Miami, and the Lakers— and he's done it in, I think, what is the toughest era in the league, uh, when you can factor in the international players, uh, the lack of expansion, which happened mostly in the 90s. Would you say today's NBA is tougher? Is that like an argument to help LeBron in this discussion?
8: Oh, for sure. There's no doubt that today's players are better and that this era is tougher. There's no doubt about that. Um, and there's there's also, you know, if you look at the superstars and the talent, you know, if you put a, a star from today's game back in the 80s, they would... Dominate like if yeah, you what put, is Zach
6: Levine scoring in the '80s? Is he putting mean, up 35 a game?
8: It's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? If you put Joel Embiid in the in the '80s, it, I mean it's a clean sweep. You know what I mean? It, I think we're telling different stories. If you put Jason Tatum doing sidesteps, they would think he was an alien. You know what I mean? Like you think about Steph Curry if he was shooting from that range back in the '70s or the '80s, people would be like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I mean? Like the best shooter was Steve Kerr, and his you know efficiency was through the roof. But I mean he wasn't even thinking about shooting off the dribble 35 footers like Steph Curry's trying to hunt throughout the game. So today's era way better. It's not even close. Now, I will say this, when you go back eras, you also got to remember that everything evolves. You know, the fastest, you know, fastest runners ever, they keep getting their records broken. You know, the fastest swimmers ever, they get their records broken. You know, all sports have have improved over time because you know, the the science behind it has improved, the training has improved. And then overall athleticism just grows and develops because we learn from other people. You know, we're out there studying film of, you know, Jordan and we're taking everything that he has and adding it to the, to the modern day era. When you look at Jordan, he didn't start lifting until halfway through his NBA career. You know, when you look at Jordan, he didn't have all the analytics and all that, that kind of stuff that he would have had if you put him in today's game. But I mean, there is no question that if you take away hand checking and if you put Michael Jordan in today's game, I mean, he's leading the league in scoring every year. And it's, and it's by a large margin. Hmm. And then if you look well, at the two way, if you look at yeah, the two way,
6: that's the, other I, I thing, think
8: yeah. the best, I think the best argument was this. If I said this, if I said there is a made up player and they have two NBA finals, you know, championships, they have one MVP, they have nine scoring titles and they have a defensive player of the year and they have X amount of other things, would that imaginary player be a Hall of Fame player? You'd say no doubt. That's how much better Michael Jordan's accolades are than LeBron James. He has two more finals. He has one more MVP. He has a defensive player of the year. He has nine more scoring titles and, and so on, steel titles, et cetera. And so when you look at it from a, how much more Michael Jordan dominated his era, you know, it, and again, LeBron, 10 finals appearances. And you know, yeah, well, I want to ask about that. LeBron it, is two to me, but it's just Michael Jordan had a different level of mm-hmm. two-way greatness that I don't think right. we've seen.
6: The two-way, I, I I would agree, better defensively. But like, how do you value Michael only six trips to the finals in 15 years? And he did win all of them, but only got there six times. Whereas LeBron, I believe, is something ridiculous like 10 in 18 years, something, something absurd like that. Basically, wherever LeBron goes, he's winning the championship, whereas Jordan needed Phil Jackson to arrive, didn't win without him, needed Scottie Pippen to arrive, didn't win without him. And when Jordan uh, retired slash quit, whatever you want to say, they still won like 50-something games, Drew.
8: No doubt. And and I think those are all great arguments. My, my big thing is, one, Michael Jordan did retire in his prime twice. Yeah. He won a three-peat, retired. He won a three-peat, retired. And so we don't know how many he would have won. I don't ever do the ifs game because yeah. again, any anything could change. You know, if he stays, maybe the salary cap you know hits, and they don't have the same team for the second three people You do, we never know. But twice he retired in his prime. I just look at it when I, when I think of greatest, I think of when they were at their best, and I compare those players. And to win three t- times in a row, you know, twice, it's just a level of dominance we haven't seen. It's why I think Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer ever, even though he doesn't have the most majors, you know, Jack Mm -hmm. Nicholson, because Tiger Woods won five in a row and he had a dominance that over a decade, no one else had. And so if you take them at their best, at their prime, I just don't think that there's a comparison. You know, when you talk about the goat of the goats, I think that, you know, Michael Jordan is the best player ever. Now I still got LeBron at number two. And I think, (laughs) you know, that, that, I, I think that sometimes people don't understand there can be two really great players. Yeah. It's just when you say, you know, I think too many times when people say this guy is number one, it means number two and everybody else suck. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. LeBron is a special talent. He's won in three places, but LeBron also needed pieces. You know, everyone needs pieces to, to win a championship. So that, that's right, just can, my argument.
6: No, that's fair. Uh, we can wind down here. Um, you know, I, I know you're not, I don't expect you to really reply and hammer anyone here, but one of the uh, most underrated player in the league who isn't one of your clients? Um Who would you say? Because I actually would say Zach Levine, I think is one of the most underrated. He's often hurt, uh, which doesn't help his case. But can you give me one most underrated and then overrated if you want? I, I know that's a-, a big ask. I would say Kyrie Irving. I've said that many times. uh Super talented, but the rest of the stuff, like you were a winner, Drew, in high school. You won everything in college. You won at Belmont, got to the tournament, like, Kyrie, just not a winning player, but a great, great talent. Um, uh, so overrated, underrated. If you're into that,
8: I would stay away from the overrated, just because Fair. I want to. I want to yep. be respectful, because I think the big thing is even the worst players in the NBA are some of the best players in the world. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. that's that's what I, I, you know, I love when you take, uh, you know, a guy on the bench and you throw him in a random, you know, college pickup run, and they just dominate. And it's like <laughs> you got to remember, like even like like Patrick Beverly, who everyone's like, he's a great defender, but you know, he, he sucks on offense and you're going, you, you realize he averaged like 38 points a game in high school or something crazy. I, I, you know, I forgot when I, I don't know the exact number, but I remember reading that somewhere and it's like, these guys are all really, really special players. So I, I'm going to stay away from the overrated underrated. You know, I look at underrated. It's weird. Cause to me, I look at underrated as a lot of times the glue guys, because mm-hmm. this is something I talk about with my clients all the time. If you look at the teams that are remaining, Okay. Just right now, guys, we're recording this podcast. There's four teams remaining. You got, you know, the Boston Celtics who have guys like Robert Williams, who, when he went out, you know, Bam Adebayo went crazy. He comes back, Bam comes back down to earth. You got guys like Marcus Smart, who, you know, again, just lockdown defender defensive player of the year, just, you know, now playing his role, but you also have guys that they traded for during the season, you know, that are, you know, like white guys like that, that are just glue guys. So, then you go to the, the Miami Heat, and you got guys like P.J. Tucker, just tough. You know, guys that, you know, just, again, one with Milwaukee. Now he's helping, you know, Miami be really good. Then you go, you know, out to Draymond Green. Draymond Green only one time in his career has averaged over 12 points a game. That's crazy to me. Yeah. One time in his career averaged over 12 points a game. But, again, the impact that he has, he makes Steph better. He makes Clay better. He makes his team better. You know, when you got a bunch of guys like, like that, that you know, or like that, And then you go to Dallas and Dallas has a ton of those guys that, you know, are guys that were undervalued. You look at, you know, Spencer Didwitty, somebody like him in Washington at the beginning of the year, then he gets a new opportunity, a new role, and and he steps up and and plays a big part in, in their success. So when I look at under, underrated, undervalued, what I look at is the guys like Mikkel Bridges, the guys like PJ Tucker's, the guys, um, you know, like that, that that are glue guys because I think you need those guys to win games. And to me, the most valuable skill a player can have is impacting winning. And so I think there's a lot of talented players that don't necessarily impact winning. And so those are the guys that immediately pop out when I when I think of impactful players that don't get enough love and credit uh, for how they, they really take the team from a winning team to a contender. Uh, that's what I think of.
6: All right, and Drew, you know, I look at your client list, and basically everybody you have has popped. Embiid, Beal, Tatum, obviously, Levine. Uh, I I would say Tyler Hero has popped the sixth man of the year scoring machine. The Heat have obviously cratered without him. I need to ask about Halliburton um, and Barrett because it feels like Halliburton may have next. He could be an all-star. He's on the rise. You know, the analytics community loves this kid. Can he succeed in Indiana? And then R.J. Barrett, like, I mean, the Knicks will fall way behind after last year's great year, and Julius Randle sounds like he wants out badly. Uh, can Can Barrett be the guy there? We can wrap up on those two.
8: For sure. I mean, let's start with RJ. I've, when, I've worked with RJ since his high school days. I mean, tough as nails, super hard worker, craves improvement. You've seen him get better each and every year. He came in the league, couldn't shoot the basketball, 30% his rookie season, 40% you know from the three-point line his second year. This year started adding – uh, you know, a variety of, of more highly contested shots and still had a good three point percentage. Um, you know, for him, he's he's going to take the next leap in his playmaking ability this summer and his finishing ability, which is going to make him more efficient. thing I love is it's hard to get guys to have the mentality that they need to be really successful. And he's always had that. He is a, a guy that has won in high school, he won in college. He's a guy that just, you know, he, he's going to figure out ways to get it done. You know, he was the first, he led the Canadian uh, youth, you know, U19 team to the first time ever beating the U19 uh, USA team. It's just, he's a guy that is, is tough. And so as we continue to refine his skills and polish his skills and add one thing each summer, I think you're going to see him over the next couple of years continue to take, you know, leaps every single you know year. Halliburn's a guy, he makes everyone better. I mean, he is one of the best passers in the NBA Um, and takes care of the ball doing so. His next step is looking to score more so that he can be one of those guys that puts pressure on the defense in a variety of ways. Instead of just driving to kick, he's going to have to also drive to score, especially because, you know, in his next couple years in Indiana, it's not like he has superstars that he's going to be kicking out to. So he's got to be more forceful when it comes to looking for his own shot and uh, becoming more dynamic on that end. But, again, special, special passer, great kid, um, super hungry. I remember when I started, you know, working with him, you know, this season, it's funny. I went up and watched him play against the 76ers and after the game we're out there on the court and, I, and we're waiting around cause Joel had to finish his press stuff. And um, he's out there, we're walking through pick and roll coverage right after a game in his flip flops. And he just, he's like, Hey, how can I do this? And then Joel comes out there and he starts asking Joel, he's like, Hey, what do I need to do? And Joel's like, you know, one of the hardest things for big guys is to guard this and they, and he's just trying to pick everybody's brain, which, Again, makes them, you know, have the the ability to learn and grow. So I I I wouldn't take on a guy if I didn't believe in him, you know. So obviously I'm gonna have some biased, uh, you know, kind of opinions when it comes to those guys, but I mean, they're both so young. You know, you think about RJ and you think about tired, th- those guys could be like college basketball players. They're just wrapping up, you know, mm. their college basketball players. And so Um, you know, I think the sky's limit. I think both those guys will be all stars, uh, you know, within their careers.
6: And I could ask you a million more questions. The only thing that popped into my head, the last one, Zach Levine, you said earlier that like, when you were looking at colleges, you were looking for fit and academics and everything. And Belmont lined up perfectly. What do you tell your clients? Like a guy like Zach Levine, who people are out there, Oh, is he going to be a free agent? Should he ask for a trade? You know, what do you tell your clients if they say, "Hey, you know, Drew, what, what do you think about this? I, I'm, maybe it's time for me to ask out," because that's been popular in the NBA lately.
8: You know, the good thing for me is a lot of times the star players that I've worked with, they have you know been able to stay home. You know, you got Brad Beal, who's been super loyal to Washington. You've got Joel Embiid, who's been super loyal to Philly. You got Jason, that's you know been in Boston, so they've been able to find those homes. Mm. Um, the thing that I like about my clients. And again, I'm not saying it's it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but they fight, man. They don't run from adversity. They try to, you know, they really try to be impactful where they're at. And so I think it's more meaningful if one of those guys does bring home a championship um, instead of chasing those, you know, championships, other places by teaming up and stuff like that. And so, you know, I know Zach wasn't drafted by Chicago, but he was traded to Chicago. And um, again, it's just one of those things where, it's amazing how undervalued he's been. You know, he comes in the league. I got, you know, I have countless articles and screenshots from analysts that said, "I don't know why Zach Levine thinks he's ready for the NBA when he can't even, you know, uh, contribute at the college level." Good luck in a, you know, Maine Red Claws jersey next year. Oh, you know, I've got all those, th- and, and then to see him improve and grow, and then he's a twenty-point scorer in Minnesota. Still doesn't believe in him. They trade him away, and now. You know, the you know, the all-star appearance, you know, in Chicago, you know, him being a great scorer. It's just like every year he gets better. He's a worker. And so the, the countless theme that you can hear is I only like guys that that work extremely hard, that crave improvement, and that have this burning desire to want to get better. And um, you know, sometimes that what comes with that is a mentality that, you know, you're not gonna run from adversity and you're gonna stick there and you're going to try to figure out how to win with what you have. And so I respect it. You know I mean? You, you see Kobe Bryant was with one team, you know, Dirk was with one team. Michael Jordan was, with one team. That's another case. When we talked about the Michael Jordan, you know, kind of LeBron thing is, Mm. you know, LeBron had to leave to win. Yeah. He couldn't out again. He came back, but when he came back, he also brought a lot of people with him. LeBron had to leave to win. You know, Michael didn't Kobe didn't you know, and I'm hoping that some of my guys don't as well, because yeah. I see how connected they are with their fan base. And I see how, you know, um, how much that they want to win a championship for their city. And it really is their city. And so i um, not saying that, you know, sometimes if, if, if the front office and the coaching staff, and you know, if, if they don't put the right pieces around you, sometimes the best decision for you and your career is to leave, but uh, I've been kind of proud that, you know, my guys have stuck faithful to, you know, the teams that have drafted them and, and they really do care about the cities that they're in and the fans that have supported them, you know, from the jump.
6: Yeah. All right. Drew Handlin, Um, this guy's amazing. The story's great. Congrats on all your success. Obviously all of it's earned and you got a lot of great clients. And I like that you would engage in Jordan LeBron, even though we disagree. Thanks <laughs> a lot, man. That, that was outstanding. Really enjoyed it, Drew.
8: Awesome. Appreciate
0: you. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere.